Hello, this is ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, episode 101, The Sixth Commandment, Sexual Addiction and the Element of Anger. My name is Russ Shaw. Exodus 2013, King James Version, Thou shalt not kill. ESV, You shall not murder. Amplified Bible, You shall not commit murder. Matthew 5 21 through 22, Words of Jesus, Bread Letter. The Message Bible. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Cautlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words chill. Matthew 5 21 through 22. Acts 9, King James Version, 4 through 5. The conversion of Saul to Paul. For he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 5 and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. Acts 9, King James Version, 4 through 5. John 3 16 through 17. King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that was over believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 17 For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Hebrews 12 2 through 7. New International Version. Do let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, storming at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Seven endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Hebrews 12, 2 through 7. Yes, that is. 
Megadeth. Playing some 80s metal, I thought Megadeth would be appropriate for uh, the Sixth Commandment. And talking about anger, those are uh, Bible verses read by a computer, text-to-speech, that's excerpts from the most bought, most best-selling book on the planet for centuries. They've actually taken it off the bestseller list because it is, uh, it's that popular. I know that uh, we, we don't like to say that, but that's the truth. Bible is still the best-selling book every year of all time. Uh, so, there's that. And the other uh, music I played on the show is by a band called Megadeth. I love that tune. Um, if you want to download the songs in their entirety, you can go to uh, asi247.org, click on the Music tab, and you can download them right from the the website right from iTunes there and uh, download the, the full the full song right after you pay iTunes or whoever you want to use uh, Amazon I don't get paid a dime for that I think there's one album there by decipher down that I will actually get a small uh, percentage of the uh, the sale of that album but the rest of them I just didn't have time to encode all that and have it all you know for commissions and I'm not really I'm more interested in taking the time I have to put the message out than I am to uh, try and make money off this thing right Um, a couple of things today I'm doing the uh, show in my van because that intro that four minute long intro that you just heard there there's actually two different songs by Megadeth one of them is uh, the song Train of Consequences and the other one is uh, Angry Again, um, Megadeth, Angry Band. A little bit of a deeper message to the metal tunes in the in the Megadeth. Dave Mustang, I've talked about before, kind of a theologian type of dude. Kind of one of them Job types, right? Get in, in his heart. Um, the train of consequences. There ain't no turning back. Um, talking about today... The fact of time and the movement of time, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you you know my fascination with the movement of time, my, uh, my interest in time travel type of movies, TV shows, that kind of thing. I, I love that kind of stuff. The, I'm fascinated by the movement of time. And while, yes, Jesus gives a second chance that we can live a new life, that we can have a new heart, and that we can change things. The facts are that we can't go back in time and change the past. But what I will say, and the reason I play that song, Train of Consequences, is that we still have to deal with the, the damage that's been done in the past. And the best way to move into the future is to stop clicking on the miles, right? Stop clicking on the miles of, of destruction, does that make sense that we're cruising down the tracks, that that is our life, that we live in this material world that is governed by time and space, and we are clicking on the miles, man. We are rolling down the track of our life, and the future is an empty page. Tomorrow's an empty page, and you're going to write down on that page. And it's more about your heart, where your heart's at, than you uh, disciplining yourself to get into another regiment, um, religious regiment. I'm really interested in going after your heart, and I will continue to do that on this show, that a lot of this kind of 
behavior modification, you know, white knuckling, just trying really hard and I'm going to do something different today and I'm going to get there, man, because I'm a winner and I can do it. Um, That usually does not work long term. And you can't do this alone. I've talked about that a lot, but uh, I am fired up today to do this show for a couple of different reasons. I've been looking forward to this show because anger has everything to do with sexual addiction. Um, Well, not everything, but every single sex addict that I know, that I've met, um, that counselors have talked about. This is not just my words. There's a lot of guys. uh, Henry Cloud writes a lot of books, Christian uh, psychologist and author and uh, counselor, talks about this. All sex addicts are angry, angry people. Um, whether that's an outbursting anger, whether that's a breaking into exploding into anger, or whether it's a a contained kind of passive aggressive anger, we are all freaking angry people. <laughs> we need work, man. We need to uh, work on the addiction under the addiction. Something that um, an author I had on the show a while back uh, told me changed my life, just my interview with this guy, Joe Dallas, said to me, uh, getting rid of the sexual behavior part is the easy part. And he's like, what? This is tremendously hard. This is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, is overcoming the sexual addiction. It took me, Russ Shaw, a couple of years. So when Joe Dallas said that, I'm like, what? And uh, really, it's dealing with what's underneath it. Like, what when you remove that, it's dealing with the hole that's left after you've pulled that out. And usually what comes creeping in is what's underneath it, which is anger. This just bitter freaking nasty type of anger uh, that's a, a kind of a lone staying anger. Because anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, anger's not sin, right? God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. What anger is, is when it's not stood up, when it's not based on conviction, when it's based on just emotional pushing away, keep me alone. See, the, the more we don't understand or the more we vacillate in what we believe or we don't even know what we believe, the less, the less that we're grounded onto a foundational place of where our hearts rest, the more, the more angry and pissed off we get. All right? I'm marking the show explicit because there's a couple of things I'm going to be talking about today, and it's going to it's gonna ruffle some feathers, I realize that. Probably going to cost me a few speaking engagements, if even indeed there is speaking engagements for me in the future, right? I am the, uh, I'm the clay, he's the potter. Let God be in control of this thing, doing the best I can with that as a control freak, angry person myself. Another show with me being convicted what I'm talking about today because I am still working on this, still in repentance and praying for a repentant heart over my own anger, which is worship of control. It's putting me in the my own emotion, my own riled up, stirred up emotion in on the throne of my heart as God. And that is breaking the first commandment. And breaking the sixth commandment when we choose to murder others. And what do I mean by that? Um, the series of scriptures that I had at the beginning um, with the Guitar Hero 80s Metal Megadeth playing uh, was, 
was uh, first a few different translations of the uh, Exodus 20, uh, verse 13. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. And what Jesus said about it in Matthew 5, because he's going to raise the bar on what that means. What it means to murder someone in your heart. And what I believe he's talking about is this, is, is that, you know, when we're not convicted, like I talked about before, about being vacillated, my convictions, when my convictions don't match up with what actually is. And I think for a lot of us, we like to, we like to coddle our anger. We like to hide behind it, just like guilt and shame. It's a place where we can run and feel safe because we've lived there so long. Anger is a great place to push people out, get them away from our hearts, and be on the throne of our uh, decision-making and on our heart, really. Heart rules behavior. Okay, that's something I'm going to constantly go back to on the show. And Jesus touches on that. When you try to win an argument, here's something that I believe it was John Frame that said this. It's a quote. When you try to win an argument without true or wise ethics, your weak points are replaced with angry, puffed-up, fist-pounding energy. It's like C.S. Lewis talked about with, uh, I believe the guy's called the Troubadour. In the book, uh, The Great Divorce, this uh, separation that we all have. I love this book. If you get a chance to read it, the separation between heaven and hell, the, the ongoing story against good and evil that is God's, right, telling each one of us our story. God's exposing to each one of us our story. It's when we get judgmental. It's something I like to think about. I don't know what's going on behind this person's eyes. I don't know their history. I don't know their full story. God's telling me my story. Something that Pastor Mark said about um, individual legalism, right? If you're going to be a legalist, all right, do it on yourself. <laughs> be a legalist to your own behavior instead of having your energy so focused on everybody else. And that's what the next scripture I talked about with the conversion of Paul, Saul into Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, like two-thirds of the Bible. Uh, a big chunk of the New Testament are, are letters, epistles that this, this man, uh, the Apostle Paul, writes to the churches. I love this man's story. Um, Paul, a, a religious guy, a religious Jew who persecuted the, the early church Christians, just with, with verve went after these guys. Like, talk about sin being an out there thing. I mean, this guy went after Christians with a, you know, with a kind of passion that was, was crazy. I mean, he killed uh, a guy, Stephen, right? He stood there while his, his posse, his crew, uh, murdered a guy physically, mur not just murdered him, his heart, okay? Actually put the guy to death, um, this man Stephen. So Paul, I, I totally relate with this this scripture that I, I played there because that's where Jesus meets Paul, um, right there where he, he, he blinds him. On an early show, I said uh, Paul got himself out of that situation in episode 6, and I got some flack for that. Do I totally agree with that now on that? No, not entirely, but my point with that is having to do with um, this concept of, of hitting rock bottom. There's no such thing as rock bottom, right? Can I, can I tell you something? The more you think about rock bottom being a, a, a thing that needs to be achieved in you, I mean, I can't think of anything more scary or destructive than that being part of your doctrine, right? 
part of your pathology, to use a, a psychological word, that you're going to have to hit some kind of rock bottom to get there. Okay, Paul could have walked away and said, oh, I'm blind, and that was a freaky thing that happened. You know, wonder who brought the speakers out there. And it was a miracle. But could Paul have still walked? God doesn't make, right? God doesn't make uh, robots, all right? Jonah, another example. Jonah's running from God. Hey, I want you to preach to these people in Nineveh, and I want you to tell them about sin. I want you to convict them of sin. You have a message. I want you to preach it. And he runs the other way. And what happens? A uh, whale eats him, right? He, <laughs> whale eats him, spits him up where God wants him. There's things that happen in life that are are huge. And this part of where Jesus says in, in the King James Version, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Um, what does that mean? Because uh, th- that word pricks, it's not... All right, I know. I know what you're thinking. All right, I know. Knock it off. <laughs> Don't be a, a jerk. That's not... No, it's not a slang... That's not what he's talking about. Um, what he's talking about here is the image that I have on this episode is of a, a guy and a coin, a guy in a horse buggy, you know, like a whip. And when a horse is going in a certain direction, you to get that horse moving, you use this, uh, back in that time, you'd use this rope with a, a thing attached to it, and it would... Uh, it would drive the horse forward, right? It'd have little uh, pricks on the end of it. It was also called a goad. And, it, and the horse, when a horse would get angry about it, when a horse was, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, one of those kind of horses, like, I'm just, I don't want to go with it. It would kick, it would kick against it, right? You whip the horse to get it moving, and it would kick against the pricks. What, that's what he's talking about there. And that's my story. And in sexual integrity and what my sexual ethics were and what I had learned, what I thought to be true, was all wrong. What the Apostle Paul thought about other people was all wrong. What I thought about other people was all wrong. It was a mess. It was against what how the world is just meant to be. All right, that's what the definition of sin is. It's breaking. It's sinking up with the the disease, the brokenness, the corrosion of this world, and not sinking up with what is life, what is growing, what is beautiful, what is green. And in the United States right now, everybody's focused on on green environmentalist stuff, right? To be green, be a good steward of the planet. It's a good message. You know, what does that mean to invest in life? Being convicted is all about investing in where you live, where you're going to find life. What is your definition of freedom? So that's part of authority, right? Where we're investing where our, what our attitudes are towards the stuff that happens in our life. Like I said before, life is 20% the stuff that happens to us and 80% how we react to that 20%. The Apostle Paul reacted um, like Eliphaz in, in the Job story, making into two, these two different guys. Eliphaz is another uh, religious dude. Job is, is asking for help, and, and, and Eliphaz looks at Job and says, you know, just with his attitude, like, uh, well, good things happen to the righteous people, and bad things happen to wicked people, so, you know what, Job, you're you're wicked, and that's why stuff's happening to you. You're just a bad person. That's why stuff's happening to you like this. 
And that's the attitude of the angry-hearted Pharisee in all of us. There's, there's a little anger thing that just wants to push people out. Okay, intimacy is it's this weird thing that we're trying to sync up with, right? Like, the opposite sex has different sex parts than me. So in order for me to get off, I need to sync myself up with one of them somehow, you know, whether it's the Internet, through pictures, or lying to them, or just having some kind of a surface, you know, kind of weird relationship like that. I don't know you. I just want to get off. I just need your body and use that for my own gratification. What's wrong with that? I want to look around, man. Look at our culture. Look at the divorce rate. Look at affairs and the integrity that's been busted in the church. I mean, this new story about this bishop in the South, this dude. I mean, I hope that's not true. But... Usually it is. It just usually is. Either that or the God of money, you know, propping up that God is making Jesus a bondservant to get the real God, which is wealth and prosperity. You know, it's just another another false, false God that we worship. So... These attitudes, this attitude that Paul had, and and listen, not all bad stuff happens out of you know a father that's trying to discipline us. That's part of it. When you become a Christian, we're we're disciplined by our Father. God God loves us. He's not going to give us everything that's going to destroy us. He's going to hold back some stuff. He's going to love us in a way that's going to bring us closer to Him not necessarily giving us monetary gain. There's a lot of that being torn down in my country, United States, man. We have a, almost a 10% unemployment rate here, which is huge for this country. Um, people are losing their homes. People are reevaluating their definition of freedom. You know, I heard a guy, a psychologist on the radio came on and said this, uh, this materialist therapy that we all have to go buy something because it makes us feel better for a little while is breaking down. And that's good for us. It really is. Um, I'm not happy about people losing their jobs. I'm not. But there's a reason for it. All right? And it's not God punishing you necessarily. But it's God calling you closer to himself. And I know we like to run. That's part of our our issue. We, We want to run from God instead of to him. And that's part of kicking against the pricks. Right, kicking against the that whip that wants to drive us closer to him. Not in a whipping that's probably a bad analogy, but you know what? It it God loves us and he's trying to get us closer to him, drive us closer to, to what love is, and get us to ask the question, to look at our own hearts and examine our own hearts and ask the question, How am I demonstrating love? How am I demonstrating love to those around me? Jesus, who is God in human flesh, um, pushes back. It's, it's this attitude. It's if, you know, and Eliphaz's attitude towards Job is if you can't win an argument, attack your opponent. And in this world, that becomes murder. You see this in politics, man, all the time. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about what I stand for. I'm just going to attack my opponent. I'm going to create a... Uh, an environment of fear and that in this world is a form of murder 
it's really demonizing another person in order to puff up ourselves. It's making it personal, whatever the issue is. I, I hate that person because of what's coming out of them and maybe what's coming out of them is true, <laughs> right? You're not examining the thing. You're, you're, you're seeing the messenger, right? That old saying, don't shoot the messenger. Somebody brings the, the crazy dictator or the, the corrupt king bad news, the guy, they'll, they'll slaughter the messenger because they're so angry. That's weird. That's what we do when we kill someone or, or we don't we don't look at we don't let it run through our heart a lot of times my own I didn't trust anyone and that's really what I want to focus on here and for me I would hide behind this sense of innocence like I think I'm innocent and the rest of the world is to blame well they did this well I was sexually abused well I'm a victim well I well you so in this world we're, we're afraid, right? I mean, that's really what it is. If you can get honest and if you can break down the, 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 the big crusty walls that you have around your heart with this anger, right? This leather, you know, rock and roll, slack-jawed attitude that I had was really just this fear-based, I don't want people to get that close to my fragile, vulnerable heart. And I fear that you have, whether you have my best interest or, at, at, you know, or not, are you really after my best interest or are you just trying to fuel some self-righteousness that you have? It would always come off of me and get onto them as a way of murdering their intent or their influence over me. And it would made me very unteachable. And I had to break that, man. I had to really look at myself and see how I really didn't trust anyone. And every time I could shoot the messenger, it just kept me in that alone, safe, comfortable place that I didn't even realize I was doing that. But I just kept shooting the messenger, shooting the messenger, not being teachable, staying immature, keeping my arrested development, right? It's not just a sitcom. It's not just a psychological label that we slap on people. Anger drives everyone else away. And addiction, all addiction, just keeps us alone, keeps us frozen into alone. Nobody else can speak to my heart because I don't trust anybody else. And maybe there's a lot of yelling and screaming that went on when you were a kid. Um, I can relate to that. So if you can, even in your heart, just drive that person away. I heard a, a story of a, a little girl on an airplane that was just freaking out and running around the plane and making a bunch of noise as a pastor was telling us I, I can't remember who it was but the little girl uh, the, the mom you know yelled at the little girl and she just continued to do it and then finally you know one of the stewardess gets involved you need to control your kid alright puts her down knock it off so for the rest of the, sh the flight the little girl was uh, sitting in the seat nice and smile on her face and all of a sudden just weird change didn't freak out didn't throw a fit and they ask her, what, what uh, you know, why, why did the sudden change, what, what was going on? She goes, well, you know what, on the inside, I was still running around the plane. I was still freaking out, and knocking stuff over, and coloring the back of seats. And 
I just imagined it instead of uh, actually doing it. But see, that there's a place in our heart that gets that way, passive aggressive. Realize I was passive aggressive. That's what I would do. Just seethe. I was seething. Us angry folks were good at seething, holding accounts with people. Right? Jesus gets angry. Okay, it's not bad or sinful to get angry. This part of uh, John chapter 2, it's recorded in, I think, 13 or 16, somewhere in that neighborhood. But it's called Jesus cleansing the temple. (laughs) I love that. I'd be the equivalent of Jesus walking into like a Christian bookstore today and seeing all these books on, you know, be your best you you can be and, you know, stuff like that. The, The pithy little posters and, you know, surfacing up Christianity in a way to make money, in a way to drive profits, in a way to give a message out that's soft and gushy and good to, good for consumers, right? I don't, I don't know what Jesus... His heart was towards the money changers in the temple was something... I, I would imagine it would be something like that. But uh, yeah, Jesus gets angry, fashions a whip, goes in, dumps tables over, and, and is angry... Angry for what is right. And uh, the last show, me and my wife had this talk about uh, the podcast here that you're listening to. And she said, um, she said, you know, I, I think you might be soft on some of the listeners. And you talk about grace, and that's great. And it's important for people to get grace. But you know what? These, I don't want to see, and she got tears in her eyes, and she, I don't want to see any more cheated on. Women. I don't want to see any more, you know, destroyed women. Women whose hearts, you know, are just just devastated by more of this evil corruption that goes on. Being cheated on or catching them with porn or whatever it is. Horrible dark hearts that, that men seem to just start to gravitate towards in our culture today. Surface sexuality. That's, that hurts and destroys women. And, and I remember I just got... I, uh, at first I got defensive, because that's what I do, right? I get all defensive. And, well, I can't just yell at them. That doesn't going to help anyone. They need to know about Jesus. And, and she... Uh, and so we, we had a discussion about that. So I, I kind of led up to the last show. And I did that show for, for my wife. And, you know, the, the email did help. But there's been a lot of those emails over the years from women who are listening for their husbands. And, and this hurts my wife's heart. It hurts my heart. It, it's part of the passion that I have of doing this show. Having a man talk strongly to you, I think, is important. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to do that. So, And I did. And I got angry. And uh, I don't apologize for it. I'm unrepentant in that. You need to examine your own heart. Because somebody talked stern to me and told me I wasn't loving my wife. And the true thing, I wasn't. How was I demonstrating love? By being a selfish, self-absorbed, all-about-me jerk. It's not demonstrating love at all. It's demonstrating love for myself. This whole topic of purity, I would get very angry and I got... A lot of that came out, and, and I would talk about purity. Every time somebody would say purity or purity ministries or, 
you know, Partners for Purity is one of the blogs that I have on the website now. But I had an issue with that because Jesus makes us pure. And that's something that really um, resonated with my heart, that collided with my heart, that I can't be good enough. But Jesus gives us, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. He gifts us righteousness and he gives us purity. We don't do it by our behavior. But when we love him, things start to change. When we love God, things start to change. It's learning that moment-by-moment rhythm of of what we love that is driving us. We don't realize that. I remember going into Pastor Rick's office in this this, uh, Ephesians 5 talking about marriage. And every man, Jesus says, or not Jesus, but the Apostle Paul says, every man loves his own and takes care of his own flesh. Right? Love your wife as you love yourself. Nobody despises their flesh but takes care of it and loves it. And stuff like that is somewhere along the lines of how that scripture goes in Ephesians 5. I remember going into Pastor Rick's office and going, you know what? I don't love myself. I don't even like myself. So why would this... I mean, how can I love my wife when I don't love or like or even care about myself? But what does this scripture mean? Because I don't understand. Uh, I, don't, I don't like me. I told him at the time, halfway suicidal, to be honest with you, when I uh, when I talked to him about that. Um, and he said, even suicide, he says, even the guy who ends his life is giving in to this kind of self-love. That that is the ultimate sacrifice for yourself, is to, to give up your own life and to die for the altar of you for your own pain like I'm so pain I'm so filled with pain I'm so filled with rage I'm so filled with you know broken hearted shame and guilt that I would end my life that would be laying yourself on the altar of ending your own pain and suffering for who? ending your suffering so you could I mean it's horrible it's a horrible thing and I'm not saying that everybody who kills themselves go to hell right I mean there's such a thing as mental illness and, and stuff like that. I mean, we just do not know what's going on behind the eyes of someone else. But I do know that my selfishness and my anger was not this forgiveness. That's another form of sacrifice. The highest form of, of self-sacrifice is actually admitting that we're wrong, admitting that we're sinners, admitting that we don't, we're guilty. You know what? It's not everybody else's fault. It's my fault. Some of it's my fault. I'm not just a victim. I'm a victimizer. I don't want to learn. I want to be bitter instead of better. Right? You can't change what you don't acknowledge. Something that Dr. Phil says. I know Dr. Phil, right? But it's, it's true. If you don't acknowledge that you're wrong, that you're a sinful, jacked-up human being, and everything else is everybody else's fault, you will not, nothing will ever change for you. Self-righteousness is the biggest sin that I think is being touched on here. We murder other people as a sacrifice. We lay them on the sacrifice of our hearts. Um, anger is addictive. It's a great place to go. It's a safe place to go. When you blow up with that bold anger, everybody wants to run from you. Everybody gets away from you. And you're back to where you want to be, which is alone. I'm speaking out of experience here. Um, anger is, is worship. Okay, It's worship of the God of control. 
It's putting, I'm in control on the throne of my heart. And control kills life-giving, trusting influence of our loved ones. Of, of people that we love. People close to us. Right? I'm always leery of the guy who's out there in ministry. And, you know, he's going to church meetings every night. And he's so busy in the church that he doesn't have time for his own family. I'm always skeptical of that guy because that's that could be a form of anger. Right? Look how good I am on the surface while you neglect your kids and your wife. And no, it's, it's disgusting. What you're doing is disgraceful. All right? I'm speaking to myself as some of this. Some of this show in the past has got me so wrapped up that I, I, it was a new addiction for me. And that had to do with anger. Because I wasn't in control. I would get angry at my family. I, I admit that, man. This, this show in the past has been an idol for me. And I'm repenting of it often to not be again. And for me, that's actually being convicted and investing in what's true and what's real. Okay, because I can, I can succumb to this false sense of, of shame and guilt, right? Like we don't do shame and guilt as Christians. That's worldly guilt, worldly sorrow, the Bible says. See, religious people love to use guilt and shame to control others. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Okay, it's that shaming, like, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. I used to say that, and I would feel sorry, but it, that was attached to shame. I wasn't convicted by it. Again, conviction is, is an invent. I remember being doing stock stuff, right? Stock options, and I. When you're convicted about something, when you're convicted about a stock, you invest in it. You see all the things that it's doing. You see that it's got good numbers. You see that there's news. There's you know, positive stuff going on, and you invest in that. Our lives are the same way. When we see good doctrine, right, a good way to do things, we want to invest in that. That's the kind of, of sorrow that brings heart change, okay? It's not controlling, because I would get that way. And if you told me I wasn't really sorry, then I'd get angry, right? And then we go around this loop, shame, anger, right? Guilt, sorrow, worldly sorrow. Back to anger, because, no, I really am sorry. How dare you tell me I'm not sorry? You know, that was me, man. I'm still repenting of that. I'm still working on that. This endorphins and this dopamine that comes through, and it's really hard to change some of these attitudes. We get charged with anger. It is addictive. It's a re it's a result of short term kind of control, right? It's like a hit. It's like a got that little hit of anger. Keep me going. Get me through this moment. Get me through this conflict. Because I don't really know what I stand on. Besides pushing people away. I love that in chapter 9, the, the conversion of Saul to Paul, where, where Jesus says, you've been persecuting me. 
and he's like, who is this? Is the Lord, Lord, is that you? And it's Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus, and you've been persecuting me. And who is he persecuting? The church. Again, Jesus says, um, as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Triple X Church. Have you ever read the, some of the stories of some of the jacked up situations that, that people in the porn industry that got them there? I mean, uh, I don't know, man. I just want you to be convicted by something. Not guilted, but convicted by your behavior. By what you're doing, what you're investing in, what you're driven and motivated by. I love that Jesus says that in Matthew 5 about the, the sixth commandment. He says, you know, you think you're guiltless, you know, the religious people, you who think you're better than other people. Have you got mad at someone and used a word in, in to strike them? And he uses the word, which I think is awesome. It's funny. Um, it's a curse word. All right. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Reflections on the Psalms. He writes a whole chapter on cursing. Okay, there, there should be good, bad words for, for bad stuff. We use a good word like affair for adultery. It's just weird that we do that. There needs to be bad words for bad stuff. Cursing is in the Bible. All right? There's a lot of Psalms that deal with cursing. Some are really hard, right? Some are really tough Psalms on cursing. So my righteous anger at you in the last episode through seeing the pain reflecting on being convicted by the pain that my wife had to go through my wife that's why I did that show not because I'm guilted by a listener writing in no no my wife I've hurt and damaged my wife's heart and my wife's soul and that's kind of the thing that, that Jesus is, is pointing out towards the the people in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Well, Because a lot of people think that. Like, I'm cool with God. God and I are cool because I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody. Jesus is like, okay, have you got mad at someone? Have you been like, F you or go to hell or something like that to someone? Then you're guilty of murder. <laughs> what? The book of James says, if you broke any little piece of the law, you've broke it all. If you have, if you've, any any one of the commandments, if you've done that today, you're guilty uh, uh, of sin. You deserve hell. This is why I'm not a Unitarian, okay? This is why all religions are the same. You're welcome to listen, man. If you're any other religion, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. But I want you to focus on the roots of what you believe. Because there's just so much vacillating out there. People just don't know what they believe. And what they do is they get angry because it really is all rooted in their own feelings, their own righteousness, their version of love. Well, it's just God's just love, dude, man. God's just love, and He just loves everybody. It's all about love. What does that look like for you? Loving your neighbor, loving your wife, loving the guy that just bothers the heck out of you, man. I'm learning to love one of these guys I work with. Um, I go back to the pizza place, and this guy, he frustrates me because he's not like me at all, right? 
Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a work man. It's a work. Let's get this stuff done. Let's have these boxes sorted out. I need to know what pizzas are in these boxes. I need to take 20, 30, 40 of them out, and I need to sell them fast. So let's get this thing on the move. So today, I go back there, and he's dancing, right? He's dancing. He's the guy, right? He's dancing around. He doesn't have them already. And he's just, man, listening to music. I got the music pumped up loud. He's like, Russ, put some music on, man. Let's get these pizzas out. And I'm just like, dude. And I had to just stop feeling anger rise up inside me. Just, you know what? Yeah, let's just let's put some music on and just have fun doing our work and get these out. And I had to wait another 10 minutes. Did that kill me to wait another 10 minutes? No, it didn't kill me. But my first initial annoyance starts to build like a snowball right like the like the lust snowball rolling down the hill anger has that same kind of thing annoyance becomes anger and, and anger becomes bitterness and it grows like a root down into our heart and pretty soon we're bitter and we're just ugh, you ever wonder just negative it's not just some of it's mood some of it's your diet some of it's you're not getting enough sleep and enough rest but some of it's in your heart man it's just you feel wronged. You feel like your life should be better than it, it is. You're not happy. You don't see the grace that God's already lavished on you. How rich you really are. See, anger is like that addiction. It's something we coddle. It's something we feed. It's something that comes pouring out of us. And we are purely responsible for feeding that. It's like that two dog story, right? Which dog wins? The dog you feed, that's the one that wins. Ephesians 4, 26, this is the message version. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Be angry, but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, verse 27, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. That whole chapter is awesome, and it has to do with the, the Old Testament law and the new law and the new covenant. Um, but that attitude, I love that. That's, you know, it, it being angry, again, it, not sin, but what are you angry about? What are you convicted by? See, again, nobody's getting away with anything. It's this thing about grace that what happens we coddle our anger we feed our anger and it turns into that thing right it turns into that addiction that snowball rolling down the hill we become bitter angry graceless people when we don't understand the, the grace of God the, the cross the sacrifice that God made that he loves us. This isn't just motivated reasoning. I sit back and I wonder why some of the atheists are still listening and the, you know, the agnostics and you know the kind of Unitarian God is just love and he's just everywhere. Uh, sometimes I wonder why you're still listening, but I think it's maybe this message that you know that there's truth to this. It's not just motivated reasoning that God actually will collide with your heart when you understand the price that Jesus paid for you that you can't be good enough for God, that you owe a debt to God, and Jesus paid that debt. And when we don't understand that, we become bitter, selfish um, people who are out to kill, are out to murder others, are out to backbite and talk, you know, just be nasty and negative towards other people. 
and murder them in our hearts. And Jesus says that we're guilty of, of, of hellfire for that. Check this out. This is Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16. This is from the message. I love this. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Right after that, verse 16. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. In other translations, um, this is a direct uh, call to sexual purity, right? To sexual integrity. Um, It talks about sexual immorality in that verse. But uh, I love the way the message worded it. Uh, Giving giving away God's lifelong gift for a a short-term hit. See, see how closely linked anger and, and sexuality are? See, when we become Christian, when you become a real Christian, not a religious person, but a real blood-bought Christian, you become adopted as sons and daughters into this family of, of God. And, and listen, it's not motivated reasoning. It's a deep spiritual reality that will collide with your heart. And you get to be in relationship with God and you get to be there with Him. You get to feel Him sometimes when you really trust Him and when you're in worship and you feel that is real. It's not just emotional being kicked up and being fired up. There is a real relationship that you can have with God. God isn't distant, far away like Buddhism or some of these other religions teach that God is this angry thing that you have to appease. No, He's a loving Father. Who's, who's softly nudging us, sometimes not so softly, right? Nudging us towards Him. Um, check this out. This is the end of Ephesians 4. Uh, verse 31, this is the ESV. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God... As God in Christ forgave you. Trying to go by memory a little bit there. See, we're adopted as sons and daughters, and we are we love our brothers and sisters. And the world is not the enemy, it's the battlefield. Those people are we're supposed to love them. We're called to love God and love people. That's the whole Ten Commandments in one little sentence. Love God, love people. Not shame them. Not point the finger. That we we love God. We're broad-bought Christians. Here's something that Martin Luther said. I love this. Um, I rest only on the righteousness of Christ. A righteousness I cannot produce. I can't be good enough for it. I can't join enough meetings. I can't uh, really bear down and really gain it. I can't be perfect, but I can receive it. A righteousness I cannot produce, but receive, he says. We all sinned, and who suffered? God suffers. God suffered and died to buy us on the cross. Becoming good is a side effect 
becoming a blood-bought Christian. That's true, alright? It's not this vague thing, this vague spirituality. It, this, is, this is real. You're not going to be good enough for God and you owe Him a debt. And some of you haven't taken the blue pill, alright? And I'm not here to shove the blue pill down your throat. But God is lovingly calling you to make a decision. Because we will glorify God one way or the other. I've said that before. Mel Gibson is someone that I, I... Here's someone to pray for, right? When you're tempted and those thoughts enter your mind, and a good way to attack those thoughts is to make a deal with the devil. Let's pray for Mel. Okay, Mel Gibson. He's made some good movies in the past. He made The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, he's a jacked-up sinner hypocrite. But how great is God that he loves and pursues and chases after jacked-up, evil, hypocrite Christians. You know? If anybody deserves hellfire, man, it's this guy. But let's pray for this guy because he's being broken. There's new news today that he might lose his house. Like he's lost all his contracts. Nobody will hire the guy. No one wants to do business with him. He can't pay his bills. He's going to lose the church he built. He still owes like $200,000 on it. Just exposed. God just blew Mel Gibson up. And I pray for the man. All right? I pray that he repents and, and actually finds, and not finds, but lets God find him. Finds the place in his heart where he can surrender his pride and actually give himself to Jesus Christ. I'm praying for, for Mel Gibson, the sweet. And if he doesn't, if, if, he, if he just goes broke and ends up a crazy homeless person, man, you can't say he doesn't deserve that, right? I don't know if you heard the news about the, the phone tapes that came out about him talking about he wants to... The, the guy divorces his wife and marries some hot model woman, right? He has his marriage annulled because he can't be divorced because that's, you know, the little religious loophole. Like, he thinks he can scam God by some religious loophole. And then his, he's abusive towards her and she records him being threatening her life. So, uh, yeah, Mel Gibson, blown up, big time, in big trouble. But do you see God's mercy on Mel Gibson? You see, passive wrath would be worse for him. If God just let him live his life and he just went to hell. But no, God. this is God's mercy on Mel Gibson that all these horrible things have happened to him. This is God treating him as a son, like he's treated me as a son, that he loves me, that he's chasing me, he's pursuing me. So, I pray that we, uh, we, we see that in ourselves, that we're all Mel Gibsons, we're all little Pharisees. And we, we deserve hell, but we cling to the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our righteousness. It's another one of those songs that people... Man, demons are real. There is real, weird, supernatural stuff that goes on. There's weird stuff. There's been stuff happened to me just doing this show that I can't explain. Stuff that happened to both me and my wife that... that go beyond explanation. Like, this is real, okay? It's like C.S. Lewis, you know, his conversion. Uh, J.R. Tolkien going, what if the Christian myth is actually real? 
What if the reason you like it so much, what if the reason it makes so much sense is because it's actually real? What if it's real? Okay. Johnny Cash, guy I love, uh, towards the end of his life, he kind of trying to resurrect his music career. He got on a label. He did. He was uh, had a number one hit song covering uh, uh, Trent Reznor's uh, Nine Inch Nails tune, Hurt, and uh, did about five albums, I believe. Played in a club by uh, Johnny Depp, owned a club in Hollywood, and Johnny Cash played there regularly, man. He would go up there on stage and he would do his thing and, and, and with all these young folks and the hip scene in, uh, in LA and because he loves them right? Johnny Cash, all right, jacked up sinful human being, blood bought by Christ, because he loves them he would convey this message I'm about to play I'm going to play this tune this is Jesus Jesus is not the long haired um, you know, flowing gown kind of chick looking right kind of like all these, this artistry and Catholics are guilty of this. Alright, Jesus was a dude. Jesus is a dude. Jesus has that. When he walked the earth, he looked like a man. He wasn't hot Jesus. I heard the, this radio show, one of these early morning radio shows, these girls are, I know I'm going long, these girls are talking about Jesus and I was t- back when I was taking my daughter to high school, I'd drive her to high school and I listened to the show and, and they're talking about, Jesus is hot. You know, when the Passion of the Christ came out. Jesus wasn't hot, right? The Bible says that. He was just a dude. He looked like everybody else. And he wasn't femi looking, all right? He wasn't questionable with his, uh, you know, sexual orientation looking guy. Like all the Catholic. Jesus, dude, all right? Put his thing down, book of revelations, tattoo down his leg, ready to open a can. And listen, death is coming for each and every one of us. And that grace being this religious thing, like you think you got fire insurance, right? You're going to spend all this time in eschatology. You read the revelations and it doesn't really shake you, right? It's that's for the other people. Listen, it's not just for the end of, it's the end of times, yes. It's the end of society and, and civilization as we know it. The end of the world, yeah. Also the end of when your heart stops beating. When your heart beats its last beat when you take your last breath that's it's 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 done for you on this planet in that that human flesh bag that you have right now all right there's a time when we if we haven't made that choice that, that to be adopted as sons that we are we're filthy still and grace has ran out for us There'll be a time when that happens, and that's when Jesus doesn't have this flowing robe and come and give you a hug. He shows up with a sword and a tattoo down his leg, standing waist-deep in blood. Or do you just think this is all cognitive reasoning, and it's just synapses that fire in your brain, that's all love is? I love you, and I want good for you, and I want you to see how foolish that is. Albert Einstein, who... It was a, he's a lot smarter than you are, all right? A lot smarter than I am. Definitely a lot smarter than probably anybody who's ever lived. I mean, the people studying this guy's brain, he was so smart. And the guy understood energies. And he came up with this conclusion. He said that your consciousness is an energy that can't just be snuffed out. It's eternal. All right? Albert Einstein believed that. And we have a relationship with God. I pray that 
that he, that he understood that that the the emotional part of it that's just the extra intellectual energy part of it but death is coming for each and every one of us and you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive and I love you and I want good for you wrath of God is good and just yes God loves us and I pray that you enter into relationship because it is tough to kick against the pricks and all of us won't be treated all the same but ultimately we will all glorify God I love you guys I've gone long my name is Russ emails russ at asi247.org this is Johnny Cash until next time bye there's a man going around taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame everybody won't be treated all the same there'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around the hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks The whirlwind is in the thorn tree It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom Then the father hen will call his chickens home The wise men will bow down before the throne And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns When the man comes around Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still Listen to the words long written down When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come 
And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks The whirlwind is in the thorn tree It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks In measured a hundredweight and penny pounds Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. 